Good morning, everyone, and happy Friday. We're in the middle of World Cup fever, although, as everybody knows, as we've talked about in previous pods, I'm not a massive football fan, so we will stick to what we know today and we'll go straight to introducing our guest. As always, I'm joined by Kirsty. Good morning, Kirsty. Good morning, Alex. I was waiting there patiently, patiently. Um, and we're also joined by a very special guest today, Darren Westlake, the CEO and founder of Crowdcube. Darren, good morning. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Morning, Alex. Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. And morning to you, Kirsty. Nice. Are you a are you a footy fan? Have you been caught up in the World Cup? We won't go and tell people where we are in the in the tournament at the moment because it will go out later down the line. But have you been enjoying it, or are you uh, not so much a football fan? Busy with no, I'm definitely things? a football fan. Yeah, I've okay. got um, I've got a 13 year old boy as well who's massively into it. So we've got flags all over the living room at the moment. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, definitely into it. <laughs> nice. I, I must admit, my my four best mates are very very big football fans. As I said already, I'm not a big football fan, and so they're talking about it all of the time. And I know England are playing today. I didn't even realise they were playing until yesterday when they started talking about it. So Kirsty's berated me about this before um, on the pod. She's given me a lot of stick. Uh, I know Kirsty's a big football fan. It must be the the, the southerner in me, not so uh, not so big on the football. But you say, um, you say I'm a big football fan. I'm just not getting going with this Winter World Cup thing. Um, you've got flags all over the house. I normally would, and I haven't at all. Mm. So it's it's strange. Anyway, you said you weren't going to say where we were in the in the. Uh, in the well, process and you've just said England are playing so but, <laughs> never mind. It could be playing could be any day could be any day could start be any day. and could be the World <laughs> Cup final who knows could be. Um, <laughs> yeah. well we hold we, we, we will cross our fingers um but Darren as I said thank you so much for joining I think um um you know I'm really excited to, to listen and, and um hear more about your story and the journey with Crowdcube um you know we spoke a bit about this off air and it, it's you know it's a company I've been um I've been aware of for a very long time actually and I mentioned you know Monzo raised through you guys back in I think it was 2017 was when it sort of first came to my um attention and, and Kirsty um was talking with you again about when you guys first met way back when in in sort of early 2012 so um you know excited to hear the journey excited to hear um some of your perspectives on um what's been going on at the moment in the business world in the tech sector um and and you know how companies like Crowdcube are out there to help um you know in, in what is quite a difficult time at the moment so um I don't ever want to steal Kirsty's thunder because you <laughs> you'll know her as well as I do that she'll come straight for me um so Kirsty I'll throw it over to you and um you can get get us going and I'll come back a bit later Thank you, Alex. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about this chat because, um, yeah, as Darren's pointed out, we've known each other for over uh, 10 years, but I thought I was right in at the beginning of Crowdcube. Apparently been already going 18 months when I when I first met them, which is scandalous. I can't believe I was so late to the party. So, uh, yeah, I, I've known of, of Crowdcube for a long time. I just thought they were so exciting a proposition when they came out. We were in the UK, we were the world leaders in equity crowdfunding at that time, and we'd seen crowdfunding in the States, but not um, not equity crowdfunding because they couldn't do that over there at the time. And um, now, uh, you know, along came Crowdcube and I've invested on the platform. I've got some uh, some that are still trading as well, <laughs> which is good. One that isn't, but some that are. So, you know, that that's the joy of, of getting involved with, with early stage and scale up businesses. So, Darren, come and tell us a bit more about the history in between that 2010 up till now and some of the things that you're most proud about. Yeah, should I tell you kind of the, the genesis of how it all came about? Maybe yeah. it's good to kind of go back a little bit. So, um, you know, I've always been kind of entrepreneurial, always wanted to start up my own business. And um, in the early 90s, when the internet kind of happened, and I tell this story to, to people who are a lot younger and they don't realise there was a time without the internet. I but, know. 
Uh, some of us are a little bit older remember those days. Yeah, um, yeah the, when the internet kind of started, it was an incredibly exciting time and so much going on. I thought if ever there's a time to start a business, then kind of now is the time to do it. So I took that big leap that all entrepreneurs do and I, I quit my job. I was a computer programmer at the time um, and started my first company, which was quite scary and but quite exciting. Um, and the first company was an internet consultancy, really helping people to understand the internet, helping businesses to understand how the internet works and how they can make the most out of it. And um, we built the business up over a few years and it was reasonably successful. I learned a huge amount being uh, in my mid twenties at the time. Um, and the first thing I learned was how to raise money because uh, suddenly I didn't have a job and I had the bills to pay. Um, and so I didn't know where to turn. And um, this is probably very relevant to, you, to your audience because it is very difficult to find um, signposting, I suppose, in terms of you know where do you go to get money, whether it's a grant, whether it's a loan, whether it's equity. It's very hard, especially as a, a, a new founded entrepreneur, as to, to kind of where to go. And I think you know accountants really kind of fit the bill here and really can help um, young entrepreneurs to to kind of be pointed in the right direction. Anyway, after some kind of pointing in various directions, I managed to get a, um, a government-backed loan and uh, a, a small loan from my family and um, got the business off the ground. Um, and that was a learning experience. And then after we grew the business, we managed to, to sell it, actually. Um, didn't make a life-changing amount of money, but immediately knew that I wanted to start another company. Um, and this company I was starting up was um, in the area of kind of voice over IP, which is the technology that we're using right now. So being able to make telephone calls across the internet, which was rev revolutionary at the time, not standard as it is today. But uh, we needed to raise a lot more money to get the business off the ground at that time. You know, the five or 10K that we raised in the first company wasn't enough. We needed a few hundred thousand. So I kind of introduced to the world of equity funding and, and raising money from um, equity investors, and in particular from angel investors. And myself and my brother, who was my co-founder in, in the second company, we basically traveled up and down the country pitching to various angel networks all, all around the UK, um, you know, in hotel rooms, pitching like in a Dragon's Den type style. Um, and what struck me and still kind of resonates to me today was when I was looking out onto this audience of people, they all kind of looked the same, right? They were all middle-aged white men in suits. And it, it was just really weird that there was no diversity. And that kind of stuck with me. And all, all of them were also, to, to be an angel back in the day, you had to be either wealthy or well-connected. Um, and that's what these guys were. Um, but to be fair, you know, we, we were successful. We, we found a couple of middle-aged white men in suits who put in 150K each, and we managed to get the business off the ground. And we made a success of that business as well. And we grew it and we eventually sold it. Unfortunately, again, not making a life-changing amount of money. And at the end of this, my second business, I didn't really know what to do with myself. So I, I didn't have an, another idea for a business. I thought I'd better get a pro proper job. Um, I didn't really know what my vocation was because I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. But I saw a job as a, as a product manager in Exeter for a telecoms company. And I thought, yeah, it kind of sounds like something I could do. And uh, so I moved the family who were living in Manchester at the time. We moved down to Exeter and I started working for quite a big telecoms company with about 5,000 employees and very quickly knew that I'd made a mistake and that it wasn't the life for me. I couldn't work in this huge company 
<laughs> yeah, every every decision took you know several committees and presentations and stuff to go through. There was no agility in terms of decision making, and I I knew that I needed to start another business. So I thought, okay, well, what what problem can we solve? Because that's the way that entrepreneurs approach building businesses: is identify a problem, solve it, and build that into a business. And what came back to me was that experience that it has of uh, trying to raise money. And yeah, it wasn't just me that found it difficult. It was my peers, the people around me, uh, lots of other people who were raising money as well. And again, using and ending up using accountants and, and people who are experts in that area to point them in the right direction and help them out. Um, so I thought, how can we how can we help entrepreneurs to take control of that fundraising process and give them alternative to the normal ways of raising money? And I thought, how can we democratize investment and allow ordinary people to be sat in that room effectively or virtually sat in that room that those guys were and allow people to make small investments into into startups like mine um and that's really where the the idea for the for crowdcube came from but i knew that i needed to start it with somebody i my previous two businesses i kind of had co-founders and i really enjoyed that i enjoyed working with people and I enjoy having the dynamic where you've got somebody working alongside you with complementary skills to you as well. And I knew that marketing was going to be important for the idea of Crowdcube and, and getting the, the, the idea out there and getting awareness, really, of something very new and innovative. So the guy that I was sat next to in my telecoms job was Luke, who's my co-founder. And in the telecoms company, he was responsible for marketing the products that I created. And I thought, okay, well, that's perfect then. So one lunchtime, I took him aside and told him about this crazy idea I had and managed to persuade him to quit his full-time, well-paid job and start Crowdcube with me. And, you know, that was in 2010. So that's when we kind of formed the company, quit our jobs, went full-time. And ironically, the first challenge that we had as a business was to raise money because yeah. we, you know, we'd quit our full-time jobs and we didn't have a lot of savings. We weren't wealthy people. So initially we called on our parents and Luke's dad put in 10 grand and my dad put in 10 grand. We started to get the business going, uh, working on a shoestring, which was a lot of fun. And then a year later, probably around the time I met you, Kirsty, we did our first crowdfunding for ourselves. So we raised 300K for Crowdcube and that got the business going. Yeah. Um, interesting how did you how did you deal or did you not even realize at the time about the regulatory aspects of equity and raising funding so you've been through that's it yourself re- yeah that's a really good question and, and the answer is that I was incredibly naive about that yeah I and bet I you probably, would have started it if you'd have known <laughs> I, I, I was just about to say exactly that I definitely yeah. would not have started it had I known what was ahead of us um yeah, yeah. and it's a, it's a real challenge and it was a challenge you know, when we started, because we were the first to do equity crowdfunding, yeah. there was no regulation for that. In fact, the yeah. regulation said only wealthy or well-connected people yeah. are allowed to invest in these kind of companies. Yeah. So we had to petition and lobby the government to put in specific crowdfunding regulation yeah. to enable yeah. us to operate. Yeah. And it took us about three years to do that. But yeah. to be fair to the government and the FCA, they did a pretty good job of it and enabled us to be the world leaders that we are now. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. I think that's got to be one of your biggest achievements is you've 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 
you know, created a whole new sector you, around the world, not just in the UK. And um, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and not understand. I mean, I I was raising business angel finance as part of my corporate finance role at the time. And and I knew like sophisticated investors and, and all of that stuff and how, how difficult it was for me to try and manage a, a, a database of business angels um, when I was looking to, to raise finance for clients. So the fact that you've got this um, out there and you're able to publicize it but I suppose it evolved didn't it and it's great that you had a good relationship with the FCA because they do get they do get a lot of flack and they have had a lot of flack since and some of it quite rightly so I think in some of the things that they've done and the time it's taken for some decisions to be made have been really detrimental I think to certain parts of the yeah. sector but um but I think you know the fact that they did put their neck on the block if you like and and let let the UK be the leader in this is, is just quite astounding really uh, that, that we did that and um, you know we're not known for being <laughs> as institutions in, in the UK they're not known for for being that um that uh you know entrepreneurial and innovative so it, it was pretty impressive they did and, and it's still going through all the changes now is you know every few years you get another battle on your hands don't you of different things and, and I know it must be a continual challenge so what have your some of your other biggest achievements then I suppose it's got to be some of the biggest fundraisers you've done um but also what about the democratizing do you think you've, you've hit that yeah, I think we have. I mean, I, you know, if you look at the platform now, we have 1.4 million registered users on the platform. Amazing. Um, we acquire another 20,000 every month. Wow. And they are a broad scope of people, you know, from yeah. the wealthiest to the, uh, probably not the poorest, but, you know, to people who, yeah, we, we all, it's always important to us to bring down the minimum investment to, to £10. And we've discussed it multiple time over the years whether we increase that and we always wanted to keep it low so that you know, literally anybody who's got a tennis bear can invest yeah. and, and you know, make it really affordable um and by doing that that opens up and creates that diversity so anybody of any background you know any ethnicity any gender can, can invest through the platform and that's really important to us and it's equally important to i think to democratize it on the other side of the platform as well and let people yeah. Uh, of all backgrounds raise money through the platform as well and we've been we've tried hard to be as diverse as we can on that it's, it's, it's still hard to do that in some areas but we've done particularly well around female founders we have a high proportion of female founders raising money um through the platform and that's something that we're all very proud of yeah and i heard um bill morrow over the years is known for you know when he founded angels 10 years ago and he yeah he was um which was pre pre internet days actually, and and he always said female founders were the most successful because they were so precise that they just gave investors real um, assurances and, and confidence in them. Uh, I, that always used to make me laugh actually. Yeah, definitely. And some of your biggest achievements then in terms of biggest fundraisers, how what what's how you've just kept beating record after record. I remember when you hit a million yeah. fundraise, that was like wow, and then that's like oh long ago. <laughs> what <laughs> what's the biggest I've been raised on the platform now? Uh, well, the biggest and the fastest is both uh, both Monzo actually. So, okay. um, as you as you both said, so Monzo we did um, the first round. Yeah. Um, the valuation was thirty million, which uh, I don't know what it is now, but it's probably kind of billion ish. Yeah. Um, and they that was definitely an eye opener because they raised a million pounds in ninety six seconds, and that was incredible to think that we could raise that amount of money that quickly, yeah. especially when the first ever raise that we did for Crowdcube um, was a company called Bubble and Balm. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, one. I do. Yeah. Um, sadly, no longer. 30,000 or something. 
much was uh, it? It was, it was 75, but it took 75. six months. It took six months to raise 75 yeah. grand. Yeah. And our platform, yeah, we were in such early stages at the moment that Luke and I would get a notification on our phones every time somebody made an investment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Monzo is, is the fastest. And then yeah. the biggest was also Monzo. So they, the thing that they learned very quickly and probably quicker than anybody else was if they could get their customers to become owners and shareholders in their business, they get a lot more loyalty and advocacy uh, from those people than they would otherwise. So after their first raise with us, they realized they wanted to get as many as they could, many of their customers to become shareholders as well. So in one of the very big raises that they did, they carved out 20 million pounds uh, as part of the round to do for the crowd. So we did a 20 million raise for, for Monzo, which was just insane. And that's the biggest that we've ever done by a long way. And I remember I've seen different ones over the years, and um, it's interesting. We were talking just before we started recording that how things have evolved, and you've you've learnt and you've matured as a business, and and learnt the processes that work the best, uh, such as you know getting the customers on board. But I remember um, Go Henry uh, raising on, on your platform, and and I was a, a a user, a customer of Go Henry, through uh, my children having the cards, and I got this email from them, and uh, and it was brilliant. And, uh, and it was all about we are going to be crowdfunding uh, from next week and uh, we're going to give you uh, early access or something like that, like a special access for our customers only. Here's the special link. And I just thought that's amazing. And I reached out to Louise, the founder, um, and just said, you know, this you've done a really brilliant campaign here. And I knew they were going to be successful. And I suppose that's what, what we've learned over the years about crowdfunding, and when I, I train people how to do crowdfunding, it, I, we do look at some um, some different campaigns on, on your platform, and it's we always try and predict which ones are going to be successful or not successful, both as raises and also as businesses in the long term. Yeah. And um, just, you know now, don't you? Like, they, they've got to come in with a decent uh, lead investor already, and that helps, helps the process, and the marketing's got to be slick and ready to go, and... Yeah, it's just matured so much, hasn't it? As a as a, a way of raising finance, it's so it really so has, much yeah. more established now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the early days, there there were you probably remember there was a ton of skeptics because you know this was something new and different, and people are yeah. always skeptical about anything that's new and different. Um, and particularly the the incumbents, the the VCs and the funds. I think I'd, I like to think they were a little bit nervous and scared of of yeah. us and saw so. us as a yeah. threat. Yeah. Um, and it took it took many years for us to kind of win them over. And and I remember one of the campaigns that I remember most was a company called Escape the City. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. because they got a term sheet from Index Ventures and they turned the term sheet down from you know probably the most high high profile, most successful VC fund in Europe. They turned it down and said, no, we're going to go crowdfunding instead. Yeah. And that was a real turning point for me that people really understood crowdfunding. And I think Index learned from that as well. And soon after that, they started referring companies through to us. Yeah. Well, it's good um, for them, isn't it, as well? Yeah. It, I think it helps it helps them attract the scale-up businesses rather than the startup businesses if, if they've been through crowdfunding first. The the interesting point for me was I remember coming to one of your face-to-face events. Um, do you still do like the Meet the Founder events? 
We've just started doing them again, yeah, after the pandemic. We, after we started them up in the last few months, yeah. And I remember, I remember at the time you were quite disappointed that you had to do them because you were hoping it was going to be a pure website only, <laughs> digital only experience. And yeah. oh no, we've got to run events. But I think that that works beautifully, doesn't it? It's a combination yeah. of having the digital function and 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 the ability to get the message out far and wide, but also that that personal one to one. If or that 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 human to human approach works as well, I think you've got to have both, haven't you? Hundred percent, yeah, and, and that's the thing what we've all learned over the last couple of years, isn't it? Where we've all gone remote is that there there are some things that you need to do in person, or maybe you don't need to do, but are just much more valuable and helpful to do in person. And I think that when you're going to invest in a business, you're investing in the people behind it and the benefit of meeting them and yeah, looking them looking at them in the eye yeah. is is really really valuable and helpful. Yeah, body language and so on. So let, let's talk about current times now. The government obviously has been all over the place the last 12 months <laughs> and more. Um, the current administration then. So we've got uh, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt, just in case it changes by the time this goes live. <laughs> let's, just, yeah. let's set the scene where we are today, um, which I don't think it will change. You know, it, it feels like we've got a little bit of stability for a while. Um, I... I I'm going to put my neck on the block here and say I worry about this administration in that I don't believe that they are, um, you know, real SME focused or small business focused. I don't think they understand the difference between small businesses and large corporates. Um, I think, you know, the autumn statement was pretty flat for me and disappointing that there wasn't more in there for for the the growth potential. Um, And I appreciate why they did it for the markets and so on. But where are you at at the moment? Do you does it make a difference to you who's leading the you know as chancellor in the treasury, or are you dealing more with the civil servants and and the FCA and so on? How do you feel about how the government are supporting the growth of scale up businesses? I agree with what, a lot of what you just said, Kirsty. To be honest, I think there was there was very little to get excited about in the autumn mm-hmm. statement. It was relatively disappointing, but not altogether surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. Uh, what what entrepreneurs and businesses want to see more than anything is uh, is some stability now after you yeah. know what's been going on over the last not just the last few months but the last couple of years really yeah um so more than anything i think you know going forward if we can get some stability that would just ease everybody's minds um in terms of kind of specific things that um entrepreneurs are looking for and we did a, a survey recently about what they want from from a government um and from policy and what came out more than anything from from the people we're speaking to was around EIS and SEIS and getting some assurances that those were going to stay into the future because um, EIS in particular was due to sunset um, in a year or so's time. Yeah. So to be fair, that there was some reassurance on that, but um, you'd, you'd kind of hope for that to be in place anyway. But beyond that, there wasn't there wasn't really anything to to take away from it, was there? I mean, it was it was no it was very scaling back the R and D for small businesses. I thought was was the, the wrong approach as well. That's a mistake. So, it really is. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let, let's hope that um, yes, they, they um, take a, a bit of ambition uh, to the spring budget or whatever it's going to be called uh, in March and come out with some policies that are a bit more hopeful. I suppose the thing is about entrepreneurs and in recessions, we know that some of the best businesses are spawned and, um, you know, out of um, tragedy and pressure comes diamonds, doesn't it? And and uh, and that's what we, we know. Britain are, are fantastic at, at creating these entrepreneurs. So I'm sure we will still see some brilliant success stories. In terms of 
how accountants should work with their businesses. Um, what do you hear from your businesses on the platform then about how they want to work with their accountants? And I suppose some of them are so early stage, they might not have uh, accountants, although they're not as early stage as they used to be back in the day. Um, you know, how, how do you think accountants can attract more clients that have got growth ambitions? What is it that these businesses are looking for? I mean, drawing on kind of my own experience and the experience of the people that I've seen around me, what they want in the early stage is advice and support on how to grow their business and get it off the ground. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in terms of how you can build relationships with companies, my advice is get in as early as possible and, you know, be there when the, when the times are the hardest and they need the most support. Mm. You know, you might not make the most money out of them at that point in time. But I think most most entrepreneurs are are grateful and appreciate all of that support immensely, and they'll continue to be loyal to those people who helped them in those early days. Mm. Um, I certainly remember, you know, even when I was starting Crowdkeep, which was my third company, one of my weaknesses is around um, financial planning or you know financial forecasts. You know, I, I, I kind of understand them; I can do them at a push, but. I'm much, yeah. I present myself much more professionally if somebody, a professional, does them for me. So I worked with an accountant to help me pull together all the financial forecasts for Crowdcube, and I couldn't really afford to pay him, so I, I did pay him a little bit. But I gave him some shares in Crowdcube as in lieu of it, and obviously that's kind of starting to pay off quite nicely for him now. The value <laughs> of those have gone up quite a lot, and you know we stuck with him for many many years until basically he wasn't able to support us the size of company that we were because of that loyalty that you know we 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 were due to him because he he did so much for us in in the early days so that's what i i would suggest in terms of terms of engagement in terms of help and advice i mean really it's around you know you talked about r&d tax credits it's around those kind of things understanding you know where you can get finance from how you can leverage the grants that are available loans of all different shapes and sizes and when and how you should use them and obviously the same for equity as well when when should you do an equity raise how would you value your company i mean all this stuff it doesn't come easy to, to people and you know you might be an expert in technology or you know your particular product area but be, you can't be an expert in, in finance as well so you know accountants are incredibly important to people as they grow their businesses. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for that. We have a product which you'll be very pleased to hear um, does favour startups. So we have a credit tools product and those that are trading less than two years get a very reduced uh, access to that, don't they, Alex? So that's my bit of product plug <laughs> today. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, over to you. Um, amazing, Darren. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's always good to hear about the journey that you've been on and how you're trying to um, change the landscape and the success you've had. I think we, you know, very firmly believe around trying to open access to capital for SMEs. And the the kind of key theme that I've taken from this is you're talking about partnering with an accountant, partnering with a financial, financially minded individuals, and the importance that has for businesses today, but also for you in in your journey. And it's certainly something that we're super aligned on um, as well, because actually that financial now is what's going to help you to understand if. The terms in front of you are good or bad, but also how best to use that capital um, and, and where you can you know, extend your run rate and, and where you can perhaps even drive future growth, which is, um, you know, which is super important. But we always finish off with with one last question. It's a question I always get the privilege to ask. Um, and the question is very, very simply, what excites you about the future? Uh, 
Well, I think a lot, a lot, because there's not, there wasn't much to get excited about this year, was there? But um, I mean, for, for for us, it's um, it's about European expansion. Actually, that's very specific to Crowd Cube. Um, the regulation has just changed uh, in Europe, so there's a new piece of regulation that's come Brilliant. in, which has mirrored the regulation that's in the UK, yeah. and it means that we can operate in in Europe and hopefully get to the same kind of size and prominence in Europe that we are that we are in the UK. Mm. So that is what we're very much focused on and very excited about for 2023 nice i think that's a brilliant um opportunity and, and a brilliant obviously a brilliant goal to be focusing on um and darren so thank you so much for coming on today thank you so much for sharing a bit about your story and a bit about your uh, kind of thoughts on on where we are economically at the moment um just if you wouldn't mind just give us a, a quick one over on where can people find out more about you and, and more about crowdcube Yes, yeah, so you can find me uh, mainly on, on LinkedIn um, and obviously uh, Crowdcube is at www.crowdcube.com. Very simple, very easy. Um, well, that wraps us up for today's episode of the podcast. Um, for those of you who are new to Capitalize, Kirsty alluded to it a, a few moments ago, but our vision is simply to give small businesses and their advisors transparency and control over business finance. We want every small business to identify the risks they might face, explore how they stand from a credit perspective and choose the right funding that best fits their business. It's a very, very simple goal. And actually, a lot of what we're trying to do has been encapsulated in Darren's words um, today. So, Darren, thank you so much uh, for saying that. For those of you who want to find out a bit more about Capitalize, please do go check us out at www.capitalize.com. And thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week as normal with our bite-sized breakfast podcast. Um, and we'll be back the following week with another special interview. Darren, once again, thank you so much for joining. And Kirsty, as always, a pleasure. Thanks, Alex.